Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, you're going to hear a conversation with the amazing Anna Lynn Guzik. Anna Lynn Guzik is a Harvard-trained lawyer, a journalist, an entrepreneur. We talk candidly about foreign policy, Russia, law school, the previous president, and the January 6th insurrection, just as a few of the things that we talk about. She is the editor-in-chief of conversationalist.org. It is a nonprofit magazine that offers new solutions from a global feminist perspective. I highly recommend it. There's a link in the show. You can go to, again, I'll say it, conversationalist.org. You can subscribe. Um, I actually think you could subscribe for free, but you can also donate, which is fantastic. You know, I said I was going to get more political this year. I meant it. If you like it, please subscribe to this podcast. If you like it, please leave a review for this podcast. Um, and you can always leave me messages at isthatreallylegal.com. There is a message space there for you to leave me messages of any kind. Ask me about who you'd like to have on or ask me about things about previous guests or about anything. I'm really open to having that conversation. And if I get enough comments, I may even talk about them on the air. So, like I said, um, we're going to hear from Anna Lynn Guzik. She is brilliant, interesting, unusual. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Annalyn Guzik. Annalyn Guzik, welcome to Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. I'm so glad you could be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, I don't really know you. We've spoken for about 30 seconds, but we follow each other on Twitter. I have no idea why you would follow me, but I know why I follow you. And that's because number one, you're credentialed out the yin yang. And for those at home, you can look up what a yin yang is, but you are a highly credentialed, clearly brilliant person who is also an entrepreneur, but in a way that we usually don't think about entrepreneurs today. And that is you're an entrepreneur in what some consider a dying, if not dead art, which is journalism. And you're doing it in a way that nobody else I've seen is doing it, but it is reminiscent of some fascinating uh, other entities. So without, without getting too far ahead of myself, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in California in the Bay Area. Oh, cool. Uh, so did my wife. Where about? Uh, Palo Alto Mountain View. Yeah. She's from Walnut Creek. So I okay. know that area pretty well. Um, been there a bunch. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. place. It is, yes. But all your education seems to be on this coast, the East Coast. Yes. This is not, this is not a gotcha question, but you look like you're a little embarrassed by that. Was <laughs> it because you were like, no, Stanford, you're not good enough. Uh, Berkeley, um, you're not good enough. What was uh, honestly, I, I wanted to uh, uh, move far away from where I grew up. Um, it was a very deliberate choice. Uh, not an unusual one, by the way. I think a lot of us have done yeah. that. I mean, I was, I was born at Stanford hospital. So that was like my, I, yeah. So, <laughs> um, but also I, I think I needed to get away also to become my own person. Um, so again, not an unusual 
step yeah. of the journey for many of us. Uh, you know, my wife went to Berkeley and then mm-hmm. she came out East and she yeah. basically has lived in Brooklyn far longer than I have. <laughs> um, yeah. Brooklyn, the possible Berkeley of New York, mm-hmm. but not really. Anyway, um, <laughs> you, uh, without getting too lost in it, mm-hmm. did you go to Duke first? Yes, I went to Duke for undergrad. And then you said, you know what, Duke, you you craptastic place. I want to go to law school someplace really good. So you went to Harvard, um, which for people at home, it, it is always in the top five. But the building is a little disappointing, honestly. Harvard Law School, for those who haven't been there, it doesn't look anything like what you think of as Harvard because it's not near Harvard Yard at all. It's not ivy-covered walls. It's a fairly modern building kind of in the middle of nowhere, isn't it? Yeah, it's not the most attractive campus. Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the most welcoming either. I don't think it's meant to be. <laughs> I was say, but that really isn't what Harvard Law School is about. It, no, it's not. I, um, I, I actually of all the schools I went to, like my undergrad at Duke was really the one that was the most like precious to me, and that I felt like I got uh, the most out of. Um, certainly like shaping me as a person. Um, I felt that way undergrad too. Mm-hmm. And I was so disappointed when I went to law school and I didn't have any electives to take about poetry or literature. It was literally all law all the time. And yes. I, I honestly, in retrospect, I was like, well, what did you think? But like, <laughs> did you run into that a little bit too? Like I, um... this liberal arts, you know, I mean, I took political science and you know I studied Soviet foreign policy and we're going to get into that and oh, you know cool. did a lot of really cool things as well as poetry and I acted in productions and took classes mm-hmm. and that and whatever and then I'm like no you're going from property to contracts to torts to criminal procedure and now go home and kill yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was pretty much it it was very and it was very cold it was quite hostile but like also I mean and this is uh just on a personal level my mom died in my first year oh I'm so, so sorry I was just not a place to be grieving um no there's not a lot of compassion <laughs> no that. no there's a lot of sort of uh taking like uh advantage of people's vulnerabilities I would say in <laughs> that well, did you find it to be like I went to law school in a place that's not as prestigious, although, yes, mm-hmm. if you are at Yeshiva University's Cardoza School of Law and you think I just defamed your school, feel free to contact me at isthatreallylegal.com. But trust me, it's, it's just like, it's a good school. I'm happy with my education, but mm-hmm. um, it was incredibly competitive. And I think it was because the people who went there may not have gotten into some schools they would have preferred to get into. And so they were just out to be number one at all costs. I'm talking about, again, this is pre-computers, kids, if you can remember back far. If not, ask your parents what books are. But people would get research done and then they would tear things out of books so that people behind them couldn't find them. It was cutthroat. So were you experiencing that kind of experience in uh, Harvard? It, it, yeah. Yes and no. It wasn't. It wasn't that bad. Um, but also, we we switched to pass fail in my first year, which was very helpful. Though there were people who argued against it, um, <laughs> who wanted the grades. Um, but there were other ways for people to differentiate themselves, you know. And so they found them. Um, and so I think that kind of behavior was encouraged, um, not to the extent of tearing pages out of books. I mean, I, that's 
that's insane. That's insane. Yeah, it's, it, that's awful. Like, so just denying people and anyways, um, but uh, uh, yeah, no, and I was able to take electives later on in, in law school once I sort of realized that there were certain things I didn't want to do and there were things that I just adored and wanted to stick with. So I did some like law and literature. <laughs> it was like my, my favorite class probably of like all of law school. Um, I did a law and Shakespeare class as well. Um, so I found ways to incorporate my interests. Not all of them though. Um, I found that wanting to talk about law in countries other than the US, England, and then maybe with some comparative in the EU, um, the rest of the world was sort of thought of as, um, because, you could uh, say it, that's backward. They think backwards, backwards, but like also because they were corrupt and because it was, so it's like not real rule of law kind of thing. Do you know, like it was sort of. Um, and by the way, there's some, some of that, of course, is a prejudice mm -hmm. that has built up over time. But I'll, to be fair, some of it is very accurate. Yes, yes, absolutely. It is. No, of course. And, and I think that the fact that it is, um, I guess the reason that I always want, was, was curious about it. Well, one, because my background is, um, is Russian and I was um, interested in Russia always. And I saw it as sort of a foil to the US and I mean, especially the 20th century. Um, but I, I, you know, I was like, okay, I can see there's a big disconnect here and how both societies understand each other. Um, I'm like, but there's also a lot more in common than they want to talk about. <laughs> but isn't that always the way? Yeah, um, yeah. Your partner in the magazine, Lisa mm -hmm. Goldman, mm -hmm. um, has a tremendous background in the Middle East. Yes. Uh, and especially involving a magazine uh, which it takes talks about both Israel and Palestine. And we'll maybe talk mm -hmm. about that later. I'd love to talk to her too at some point. She seems fascinating. Uh, based yeah. just on what I've looked at. Yeah. But, but I was just talking with my wife as I was walking her to work today mm -hmm. about how the closer we are, the more we fight. I don't mean me and her, we get along great. But I mean, you know, when some people look at Jews and let's just say Jews and Arabs, not even Palestinians, mm -hmm. it's like, well, we are so much alike that when you hear certain prayers, I know they're different languages. But there are similarities to even in the incantations and what we do and the way we interact with our families. And, you know, Russians and Americans are both incredibly industrious, possibly to the point of injury types of people. I'm half Russian in my background. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason I'm here is because that whole side of the family started out working in factories and ultimately owning them. Yes. I mean, so... You yeah. know, isn't that quote unquote the American dream? Yeah. So yeah, I I get you. Mm -hmm. it brings me actually to something fascinating, and, and hopefully we'll be okay with where I'm leading us. Mm -hmm. I found when I was undergrad a little place called Union College in San mm -hmm. Diego. I had a professor for Soviet foreign policy mm -hmm. named Charles Gotti. Mm -hmm. He wrote a book. You can tell his point of view. His book okay. was called Caging the Bear. Yeah. Um, and he was a Hungarian guy who was at the Olympics. I think he was on the water polo team and he defected in that Olympics. And that's how he came here. The first okay. thing he said mm -hmm. at the top of the first class, and 
you got to remember, I took this in the 80s, so it's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He stood at the board. He wrote Soviet foreign policy, and he turned to us, and he said, the Soviet Union, forgive my terrible Hungarian accent, <laughs> the Soviet Union are sons of bitches. <laughs> sure, sure. And I was like, well, that's a, a strong statement. And then he basically taught me and the other 20 or 30 people in the classroom exactly that. And what I find interesting is that some, he's not wrong. He wasn't wrong, actually. And people today, I think we really lost something by thinking that that era is over. That era has morphed. And I know people are like, what does this have to do with your usual fun, creative podcaster? Because (laughs) listen, we're gonna be spending a lot of money for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. At reacting to and preparing for and or dealing with a currently strong Russia that is not dissimilar from the old Soviet Union. Putin mm-hmm. is a direct prop. I mean, look, a lot of these people already know this. You, you people mm-hmm. read Putin didn't like come fully. He, he did, wasn't a Boy Scout and then wandered into Russia and said, I think I'll do this. I mean, he's a product of the Soviet Union. Yes. And if anything, the aberrative behavior was mm-hmm. Gorbachev and then, um, oh, I'm blanking on my tall, drunken friend. Yeltsin. Thank you. <laughs> See, yes. it's been a while. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, when you have these giant establishments, and I think it directly ties, and I, I swear I'm going to give you some time to talk about this, because mm-hmm. this is what's setting up my whole conversation with mm-hmm. your magazine, because I think it all ties together. Wonderful. For those of us, I'll speak from ultra-liberal Jewish New Yorkers who thought we elected Obama, we are now in a post-racial America, everyone's going to get along great. It doesn't matter that every time I drive through the South, I see incredible signs I don't want to talk about, or Mm -hmm. shot glasses with Confederate flags on them, or all like... I'm ignoring certain realities because I'm convinced somehow that we're in a new world. And as much of an optimist as I'd like to be, mm-hmm. I think these two um, colonial powers, I'm going to say mm-hmm. it, America and Russia, have had PR makeovers. But the reality is these are still deeply troublesome entities. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather be an American than a Russian. Mm-hmm. But they're still shockingly similar. Would you agree? Would you agree with that? And or not? And why don't we use that as a launching point to talk about your work? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll say I I I had a different opinion on Obama only because I was actually I was at Harvard Law in two thousand eight when he was elected, and they 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 sort of held him up as a product of the institution. His picture is in the hall. It's yeah, big, as it way. should be. He's like, you know, uh, and, and yet I was like, okay, this institution is based on a lot of uh, hot air. Um, and let's just say a little bit of a, too much worship of the founders and, and just like white genius, let's say, right? Like that, that, the, the, that they had somehow figured it out. And at the same time, the economy was collapsing and there were no jobs. Yeah, but what's interesting, by the way, is if you lived in Boston area or Cambridge, mm-hmm. it wasn't until 
maybe the Globe did an expose or something where it was discovered that Harvard University owned a ton of real estate in the era that they didn't talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and they, it's one of the wealthiest institutions in the world. Not educational institutions, just no, it's, institutions. Yeah. It's like a hedge fund Secretly. with the university yeah. attached. Um, yeah. So... Absolutely. And, and and it was clear because um, when we were in, yeah, I, I the the career advisors at HLS had never had to do much of work before. Oh, <laughs> and, because because it's assumed that, that they were going to, yeah, people were handing out jobs to graduates on like silver platters um, up until, uh, you know, Lehman Brothers goes under and then boom, like uh, everything sort of collapses and that whole... Um, they were having us interview for jobs that didn't exist. You know, some firms wanting to save face and hold interviews, even if they weren't hiring. It was a very- oh, Like a big law firm, let's say a big law firm. On yeah, law that was a- Wasn't gonna be hiring any new associates. Right, but they would put us through the whole process anyways. Like it was um, a strange time. Um, yeah. And so it was that dichotomy there. And also then I, yeah, the reluctance I saw to talk about, uh, sort of the human aspect of law, I think. Um, there, wait, there is one? No, I, I, I happen <laughs> to know there is because yes. of the work I do. So, And just if you didn't know, I do a mixture of show business related things, but I also mm -hmm. do a lot of criminal appeals for anything from trying to keep people from getting deported by withdrawing old guilty pleas, all the way to trying to get parole for people who've you know, they've got murder convictions and they literally got life without parole. Mm -hmm. but, so I, I, yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. Uh, but that's not something that's necessarily encouraged at HLS, right? No, it wasn't. And I think also just, again, like this reluctance to think about how law is used in other countries um, in ways that are less than ideal and how we might look at our own country in that way um, in a more critical manner. So not just, when I talk about Russian law and things and our unwillingness to look at it, it's not because I think it's great. It's kind of a joke. Um, you know, like I talked to my family about law in the Soviet Union, for example, and they're like, what law, right? <laughs> they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, but you know, they had to come up with things and they had to document it all. And but I, America seems to feel like as a result, we can just do a victory lap rather than actually do something. Right, and I saw the, there's this enormous, uh, there's this ignorance <laughs> about ourselves that came from thinking we were on top of the game and that we didn't have anything to learn from elsewhere. Wow, and just like when the Soviet Union collapsed. Their <laughs> hubris seems to be, I don't know what the international symbol for hubris is, but maybe that'll go on the flag when DC mm -hmm. becomes the next state, we'll also add some kind of symbol for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, but there are studies, right, that show that once you're on top, you get worse information um, and that you're less likely to to, um, to listen to differing opinions. I feel like it makes you stupid. <laughs> right, there are, they actually, right, they've done some kind of neurological test too, where once you have a set of beliefs that you've been successful, your brain literally shunts away new information, even yes. if it's better. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the same time, I also saw that there was a lot of, and that was not just like a right-wing phenomenon. This was, this was across the board and it was very worrisome. Um, and uh, I think 
the reason we started the conversationalist originally it was called the anti-nihilist institute um which was just, just to just to be clear because i'm not going to assume everybody knows what a nihilist or a nihilist is i i've heard both so mm -hmm. can you can you educate my listeners um it's it's, it's 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 a belief that like like life has no meaning nothing matters um and it is a common feature of authoritarian regimes um on both the left or the right dictatorships in general right like it's just it's arbitrary it's violent violent doesn't have like reason behind it it's emotional well, right uh, and what's interesting for those of us who studied political science is at some point that when the left and the right get so far in their own areas they might as well mm -hmm. be the same thing they may circle and touch each other because you get to a point where you know during the cultural revolution for Mao is it really much different than you know the height of Nazi Germany. I Not mean, for the people who died. <laughs> ultimately, it controls by violence, and you're told there yeah. is a legal system. I mean, we know about the Nuremberg judges, not the trials that happened after war, mm -hmm. but there, you know, the the laws that were made to depossess um, Jews and other people from their property. Yeah, these were real laws. They were real so laws, it was and legal to do that. Not only that, but they studied Jim Crow laws for inspiration. Yes, another um, thing the South should be real proud of. <laughs> yes. Um, Sorry, I will, this is going to be all over the place. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and I was going to bring it back to Soviet foreign policy, which right. is that it's not a surprise that the Hungarian professor was not a fan of the Soviet <laughs> Union, <laughs> right? Like, it's not uh -huh. a surprise. I, after law school, I went to, to grad school for Soviet history. Um, and it was there for the first time that I really understood that I had a very imperial upbringing. Um, and let's just tell people, by the way, you went to that little place in Jersey, named after the town that's in it, right? You went to Princeton. Yeah, I went to Princeton. I was at Princeton. I um, got my master's there. Um, I, um, Einstein taught there, didn't he? He didn't. He, he did. He, he, he taught. Physics. Physics, yeah. Which is sadly yeah. very related to yes. foreign policy. But it is, absolutely. All of it. It's all it's all mixed in. The history of science is a big big deal in that in that in the Cold War. Um, seamless web, as we say in law school. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, so but there I was I was with a, uh, in the Slavic department and I was I mean I was based in the history department, but I worked a lot with the Slavic department and with Woodrow Wilson and public policy, uh, doing legal history. Um, law and literature really in history, because I think that they overlap, um, especially in the Soviet Union where writers were prosecuted for their books, which were used as evidence. And Oops. so um, I was gonna say the absurdity was already there. What's happening in America right now is not, uh, I mean, it's disturbing and shocking, but it's also, I've, you know, I've seen that kind of crazy before. Um, very different flavor of crazy, but like still just out there stuff. Do you mind uh, another interruption for a second? Sure. There's a professor at Yale. I'm mm -hmm. dropping the names of all these institutions. Um, his name is Timothy Snyder. And mm -hmm. I only read a book of his called On Tyranny, which okay. basically is a rule book for how to fight fascism. And he looks mm -hmm. at all of the totalitarian regimes over history and gives some very simple guidelines for everybody to follow. This is a little pitch for people to get that book. You can listen to it on Audible or whatever. It's not a very long book, mm -hmm. um, but things like maintaining professional standards and professions, you know, like the like when I wrote to my bar association mm -hmm. that I know we don't disbar people, 
but we need to make sure that Mr. Giuliani is no longer a member of our association because yes. of his behavior. Yes. And then I did write some other things and I, I'm not going to say I had anything to do with that, what happened, but I'd like to think I did, but I did. Yeah, well, I think it matters. It does. That's the whole point is the anti-nihilism was, the double negative was a hard sell, but it's true. You have to care. You have to keep pushing. You have to um, have standards. Um, and you have to have you have to have actions to back them up as well. And I think that's something that the Democrats have not really figured out yet. They have gone to the point of, you know, saying this isn't okay, but not um, we're gonna do something about it because it's not okay. Right. It's like a parent saying, No, don't touch that expensive china in the store. Right. But when and you break it. But they haven't said there's going to be a punishment or what the punishment is. Right. And I think you got to be really clear with children or fascists. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us are like, a great example is there's tons of politicians who've done terrible things and people are going, oh yeah, indictments are on the way or this is going to happen. For those of us on Twitter, if you don't mm -hmm. go on Twitter, I'm not saying you should, you're probably better off not doing it. But those of us who do, we're constantly waiting for justice that never arrives somehow. Just to yeah. that guy Gates as an example. And, and bad behavior doesn't go un it doesn't go punished. Yeah. And it's uh, incredibly frustrating. And yeah. I think it's setting a bad precedent, cons or precedents. I, I just want to say I've read a few articles on your magazine. For people who want to know, you can find out more at conversationalist.org. This they take contributions. It's a very interesting uh establishment uh it's a non-profit model for journalism which i found interesting and at first i was like i don't know this is a little you guys are really rocking the boat here saying things <laughs> about people and this and that but you know first of all uh considering all the words that have been out this year this is hardly problematic what you have to say mm -hmm. uh, and what your journalists have to say mm -hmm. the writing is really good by the way, it doesn't write down, it writes mm -hmm. up, which I mm -hmm. really appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, and it covers tough issues and doesn't pull at emotional strings. Just as an example, a recent article about Bill Cosby getting out of jail. Specifically, the article says this has nothing to do with Me Too. And the point, as I understand it, is you shouldn't be disheartened. This isn't the end of Me Too. This mm -hmm. was a legal mistake by a prosecutor, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. And that is what it is. It is not uh, in any way to be seen as a negative on the Me Too movement. There's still a lot to look at. Uh, anything from Ronan Farrow and Kim Masters at The Hollywood Reporter, who's actually been on the show, you're in good company, mm -hmm. and some other great journalists mm -hmm. um, and attorneys. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not over. And people, I, I like that that article is basically designed to say, don't be disheartened. Don't think, oh, we, th we were misled again. No, 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 no. And I, mm -hmm. I think that feels like what you're talking about is the through line of your whole purpose as a journalist. By the way, boys and girls, <laughs> this woman has three amazing degrees from three institutions, any one of what, which would probably lead to a much high paying job and no offense. And I don't want <laughs> your parents to be upset. But I'm going to guess you would have made more, more money if you went to like where my friends work at Davis Polk or, you know, some Skadden Arps and one of these giant law firms come, mm -hmm. not your jam, whatever, mm -hmm. or a think tank or the State Department. I mean, you come from Princeton. 
mm-hmm. studying Soviet foreign policy. I can't mm-hmm. believe that the State Department wouldn't at least entertain an interview. You probably speak a couple of languages. They'd be curious about your abilities there. But yeah. instead, you took your, you're following your bliss to quote a much different guy, Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling you know all about that. Anyway, again, <laughs> I'm talking at a guest. Sorry, I invited you. I'm just excited because you are uh, so interesting to me. And what you write about and what you do, I just applaud the crap out of you and your mission. So oh, that you. being said, I don't know why I took us down this cul-de-sac. So sorry. It's okay. Um, if, by the way, people, if you feel like, once again, I've talked too much, go to isthatreallylegal.com. You can leave me a message. Um, and uh, yeah, and you can see who else I should have on so that I just keep talking over them. My apologies. Please, go ahead. Um, so, yeah, I guess, okay, well, let's see. The, the way that the organization came about was in uh, Trump's win uh, and <sighs> feeling like I had a sense of what was happening. Just I had studied precisely the right things um, and also had personal life experience with uh, malignant narcissists. Um, so like, I was like, oh no. Are these, are these family members? Or yeah, 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 yeah. Or? Yeah, no, my, well, all, all, I mean, it, it, you start with parent and then it just uh, okay. <laughs> leads to lots of, um, uh, thankfully, like in my past. <laughs> um, we've all made interesting choices. We've all made inter- interesting choices. I'm glad I'm making like more <laughs> better ones now. Um, but yeah, I had like, I had quite a like a like a bit of a like a Soviet upbringing, I'll just say. Um, That's interesting. And, uh, and also a very right wing upbringing from my Russian side because of uh, growing up with communism. Um, like the reaction literally yes. a strong backlash of anything that yeah. looked like communism was yes. to be destroyed. And that's still the case for most of my family. Um, so when people talk about a liberal bubble, I was not in it. Um, I did not agree with a lot of what they said, but I also probably on a good day, when I was like 18 going off to college, or I was, you know, probably like it's pretty smack in the center. Um, which like I have moved um, left since, um, but I had a lot of deprogramming to do, both on a personal level about myself, but also about politics and about the world, about Arabs, for example, growing up with like my family, my dad specifically emigrated through Israel um, from, so he was allowed, well, he had to, you know, bribe his way out basically in the early 70s, went to Israel and then left right before the uh, 73 war um, and was in uh, Italy and Vienna and then came to the US, which was then sort of the, the path that a lot of other Jewish refugees took. Um, and so I, I um, understood where they were coming from. Um, I still understand where a lot of uh, the MAGA people are coming from. It just does it, I can understand it without um, condoning it, without agreeing with any of it, finding a lot of it like disgusting. Um, but I also, I understand it, which I think is important. Um, you know what's interesting is I, um, I've done a lot of spiritual work, quite honestly, in personal development. Mm-hmm. And in that, uh, I have trained myself to be a much better listener 
which mm -hmm. means hearing what someone has to say without agreeing or disagreeing. Yes. But it doesn't mean that when I'm done, that mm -hmm. I then have to agree or disagree, depending yeah. on the circumstance. But I think it's helped me survive the last four years. Mm -hmm. And I, by the way, had a mm -hmm. lot of ice cream in these last four years. Oh, yeah, same. <laughs> expect to have a lot of sleepless nights. Mm -hmm. so I don't, you live in New York. Do yes. You, what, yeah. Are you in Manhattan? I'm in Manhattan, yeah. Did you grow up in Brooklyn? or? Um, no, I, so I grew up in California, and then I oh, came right, to... Right, right. Then I came here after after college. I moved to New York. So I live in a neighborhood which is either old school Italian or you know yuppie, mm -hmm. and, and some movie stars. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. A nice Brooklyn neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as you know who got elected, mm -hmm. your SWAT stick is painted in one of the playgrounds. Yeah, and I like you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a student of politics and history. Mm -hmm. And I did not see this as an aberration. I saw this as a time to start talking to my European friends to mm -hmm. ask about couch surfing. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, oddly enough, I felt like the safest place I could go to was Germany. Yeah. I have a lot of friends. And it's really, again, yeah. against my parents were so anti-German when I was growing up. But mm -hmm. remember, I was born basically less than 20 years after the war was over and the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. Mm -hmm. I mean, 20, 20, yeah, I was born with less time than right now from 9-11. Right. 9-11 is longer than the time the war, right. you know, so, you know, think about that. The Holocaust was happening around that long ago. All right. So yeah. my point is, so my parents looked at Volkswagens and had unpleasant things to say. Of course. Yeah. And yeah. I have friends who have, you know, doctors and musicians mm -hmm. and other things who live in Hamburg and Berlin and Cologne. And oh, they're yeah. beautiful places and beautiful people. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, a lot nicer than some of my fellow Americans. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I'm sorry. Again, hi, Jackie. <laughs> so you see all this MAGA stuff happening. And I see it happening, it. yeah. And, and what's happening through in your mind? Um, in my mind, the, I'm thinking the coverage is inadequate. And I'm thinking that the coverage of Hillary is misogynist. And I'm thinking we're missing the point here. When you say the coverage of Hillary was misogynist, I, I automatically believe you. Mm -hmm. um, but I want, I'd love to hear a little more because I'm a guy and no matter what yeah. I say, I think it won't have the gravitas or I, I'd like to hear your perspective. Well, it just seems so obvious to me that so much of Trump's appeal was that he um, uh, is a misogynist and that he beats up on women um, and that he was beating up on her and that she had been a figurehead for discernment feminist in um, politics for so long. Um, not that like younger women would necessarily agree with that, but also just as a symbol, she is a real, like you can, I think that's undeniable. Um, and people forget she started off as a Rockefeller Republican. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was a very, she was conservative long before Bill. She mm -hmm. went through her own evolution, but I think yeah. much to what you're saying, the words I hear, I mean, I have my own opinion of her. I, I love mm -hmm. Hillary. I voted mm -hmm. for her. I'd vote for her today. Mm -hmm. I think she's brilliant. And, yeah. and I just personally, she's, she's yeah. but the B word, which I can't say, I don't want to say on this podcast, especially mm -hmm. if you want it. Mm -hmm. That's the word I kept hearing from people. Oh, yeah. 
And women too, by the way. Oh yeah. Well, misogyny is not limited to men. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. It's, it, that's a societal. That's a societal phenomenon of beating down on women. Women happily participate in it, and that was part of what I was seeing as well. Was that it was not just coming from men. It was coming from women who are like, I don't know about her. She doesn't. She's this. She's corrupt. And I'm like looking at this guy who's like a mobbed up rapist, and I'm thinking, what are you guys? What, what is the option here? And they're like, oh, when? Oh, and I, I was thinking, fell down laughing. <laughs> and just like, it, it just seemed that, but that they were making excuses and also saying he would never win. And I'm thinking any chance of him winning is too much of a chance. Why take it more seriously? Um, to be fair, I had also sort of turned on, like I soured entirely on the Republican party when as like sort of just being hopelessly corrupt when McConnell stole the Garland seat. That was it. I was like, okay, they're ready to burn it all down. Yeah, I was over then when Reagan was okay with uh, gay people dying, but I'm much older than you. Yes, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't look like I didn't have. I, yeah, I was too young. I mean, the friends of mine were dying of AIDS, and people were calling it the gay cancer, and nobody cares. That was problematic. But you're right. I mean, yeah, literally. I'm going to say this as a lawyer. I think we have three Supreme Court justices who are there inappropriately and should be removed. Absolutely, but but that's, yes. <laughs> yes, and yet uh, they're not. Um, and we're I'm not going to hold my breath either. So. And we're not going to get it. And I mean, when they rolled over on that, then I was, I, I really, um, I remember I was in a, uh, I was talking to some friends, a couple, and I was like, that's it. Like there, if everyone else, in the party goes along with this, they are complicit in it, period. It's not a... Um, you can't just abstain on these important issues. You cannot, you cannot. You either, you're, it, silence is agreement. Um, especially- and what is that, I don't remember who the quote is, but the only thing that it's needed for evil to succeed is good people to not do anything. Or something. Yeah, exactly. Just, and uh, yeah, yeah. The neutrality favors the oppressors. Um, and it does. And it's in, uh, in the same way, like I look a little sideways at Switzerland, <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> I do have Swiss friends, but let's face it, the Nazis uh, still have some gold there that's unaccounted for. They still have some Jewish gold there that's unaccounted for. That yeah, that's really what I meant. How did it get there? Yeah. Um, actually, uh, yeah, I took a course uh, in law school on uh, class actions. Repatriating. And, and, uh, and uh, the Holocaust lawsuits in, against Germany and Switzerland, um, which was fascinating. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've been interested in the idea of like, you know, I've been doing international human rights law and, and refugee law and uh, looking at uh, uh, truth and reconciliation and how, how do we repair damage done by these institutions and how do we establish culpability? Um, I, I love that you mentioned truth and reconciliation. Years and years ago, when South Africa changed mm -hmm. hands, mm -hmm. um, I thought... Again, I had already graduated college and I might have graduated law school. I don't remember the years, but I thought here comes a bloodbath because mm -hmm. I think there was in Rhodesia. I, I don't, I'm not as good on Africa. I apologize. I'm an American. So by definition, we don't care about Africa as much. Mm -hmm. I know where the countries are, uh, but mm -hmm. in any event, uh, Desmond Tutu mm -hmm. and uh, Mr. Mandela were brilliant 
Mm-hmm. And instead of having a night of long knives or whatever, they mm-hmm. had the truth and reconciliation. And by the way, there was still a bloodbath there. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't as big as we expected, but there was enough mm-hmm. violence, you know? But yeah. it could have been far worse. Yeah. So what do you think? Are you thinking that at some point we... Look, I think they are doing some prosecutions about January 6th, but I think there needs to be far more. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, I think... We, I, I, I want the prosecutions, but I also think Trump is responsible. And so long as he is not being held responsible, we're, that's um, a problem. Um, as so long as the Republican Party is not being held responsible, frankly, because he is the leader of that party. Um, as much as they want to pretend like they're separate, they are not. Um, it's becoming more and more undeniable. So they're lo- losing I mean, their sort of, uh, what's it called? Uh, plausible deniability. Um, and with Fox News being sort of their propaganda arm. Not even agree? sort of. <laughs> right, I'm, trying, yeah. I, I'm too much of a lawyer. I mean, sure, uh, sure. You know, who represents defendants who've done some questionable things, let's say. I sure. mean, I'm shocked that li- liberal New Yorkers, and this is the problem with liberals, that we mm-hmm. don't just go there and I'm not suggesting violence. Well, you know, it's very interesting that the right wing has no problem just committing violence. I'm making a bold statement that's pretty general, but I'm okay with it. But Mm -hmm. I found it much less so. Lefties will boycott something. They'll hold a sign. They'll petition. But nobody goes to Fox News and throws a rock at a window. (laughs) Nobody hounds a reporter as they're coming or going and says things the way that right wingers do that sort of thing. Well, I mean... I don't know that I think that that's necessary, like harassing, but I also, it's, but. Well, I'm not, and I, I, I'm not <laughs> suggesting that I, people create. create no, I know, I know, I know, absolutely not. But I also think that we don't even use the like legitimate powers that we have. You know yes. what I'm like? We don't need, we, we pull our punches um, and we compromise in advance. And, and um, so like, yeah, well, not only. Buster is a great example. The filibuster is a perfect example. Like, get rid of it. We elected you. You have the power. If the Republicans had the power, they would do it. You know, they do everything within, like, and 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 it's also not to say, like, don't, like, be creative, right? Do it. Look at the Texans, uh, the Texas Democrats who just showed up in Washington. Right. They left so that there wouldn't be a quorum, so that the Repub- just so people can follow, mm-hmm. so that the Republicans in the Texas legislature couldn't pass incredibly horrific, draconian anti-voting laws that basically are meant to disenfranchise anyone who's not a white millionaire. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so th- they just left so that they couldn't do it and they made a spectacle of it, which is exactly what they should be doing. Make a scene. You know, that's, the, and, and yes. And, and I, not like you know, a Karen, not like a Karen. Not like a Karen, but like, you know, I, I, I first started uh, like marching with Black Lives Matter in 2014. Um, oh, that's when, a while ago. Yeah, back when Eric Garner was killed. And I remember just um, how disturbed I was by the NYPD. Um, by the and, way, by the, I can't help yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. The NYPD, the benevolent association of that organization, which is basically the cops in New York, their union, that union endorsed Donald Trump yes. 
and has not backed off it. I'm talking about the most recent election. Yes. And if you read their Twitter, it is appalling. These are people yes. who have guns and handcuffs and they are at the very least pretty close to fascist, if not anti-Semitic and racist. Yeah, I mean, it's very disturbing. And also they, they, they've been um, sort of unleashed <laughs> even more so, I would say recently. It just, it's getting, you How see- about the, the cars that hit protesters? The cars that hit protesters, um, you saw the riot police clearing uh, Washington Square, Union Square in a few months back. Um, and you just see rows and rows and rows of police in riot gear um, in these public spaces. And I feel like that's um, an image I will never forget and one I never want to see. Um, and, and we don't, uh, it's of a piece with these larger sort of um, rising authoritarianism around the country, uh, these voting restrictions, the losses in court, um, Voting Rights Act, uh, donor transparency, uh, threats of violence. There's a, a lot of different ways in which we're backsliding. Um, Not to mention, by the way, again, a great article that I read on conversationalist.org. Again, kids, it's conversationalist.org, which is Anna Lindguzik's uh, basically online uh, journalism along with her creative partner there, Lisa Goldman. Um, I read an article that talked about New York liberals who were willing to do something, but not everything, because they were still concerned about their property values. And uh, that read absolutely right for me. I live in Brooklyn, not my neighborhood, actually, oddly enough, but Park Slope, where, you know, they they don't want to buy a certain kind of homeless because they are afraid they're supporting Israel, which they think would be bad, but no way are they going to let kids be bussed in from another neighborhood into their neighborhood for school. So, yeah. Yeah, there yeah. there are limits to how far people will go to live their values. Um, mm -hmm. We're testing them now. Um, and uh, I, I, I feel in a lot of ways like we've been sort of sleepwalking into this. Um, I, when we started, one, actually two of the pieces that I wrote early on, one was for Open Democracy Russia, and it was about how we should look to Soviet dissidents for an example of how to stand up to an authoritarian regime. Um, and then another was about uh, what were the Nazis thinking when they killed all those people? Uh, uh, well, these are, first of all, when you say Soviet dissidents, I'm old, mm -hmm. so I remember this. There are probably a lot of people listening who don't even remember the Soviet Union, let alone the mm -hmm. dissidents. So are you talking about guys like Solzhenitsyn, who was a famous writer? Or are you yeah. talking about Kasparov, who's a famous chess player? Is it Kasparov or Karpov? Yeah, yeah. Kasparov, uh, I think. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, all, I mean, they all count. <laughs> <laughs> they all count. Anyone who is in, like, you know, persecuted by the state for their political beliefs, or not even for having political beliefs per se, maybe, but just like artistic or cultural beliefs or creating art. Um, and we're seeing this now as well. Like, for example, when they talk about how talking about racism is anti-racism anti is antithetical to American values. <laughs> You're like, is the, so is our value racism, <laughs> right? Well, we certainly killed and enslaved a lot of people to make this country. I mean, right. it's, it's just a fact. They were exactly. Here, and Ex they, 
someone put our land under their Native American feet. That was a big mistake. So we had to remove those Native American feet. Right. Are, there was do, a headline the other day that said, is, our, is America capable of genocide? And I'm like, again? <laughs> was, I don't know. Let's ask the Cherokee Nation. Right. I'm like, I mean, ask, yeah. Indigenous peoples, like how they feel about, uh, about the founders, ask, you know, uh, Black people uh, about what it was like to have this economy founded on their free labor. Um, and it... it, it it's interesting to me, by the way, that so mm -hmm. many people break out in a rash when you talk about reparations, because I really believe there are some things, there are conversations that need to be had, or we're going to keep running into the same problem. And one of those conversations is the institutional racism. You mm -hmm. know, I do a lot of criminal defense work, mm -hmm. and it cannot be denied. My wife is an educator. She's been doing that for a long time, as I've been doing what I do. We talk about the prison pipeline all the time because of the way schools are structured, because mm -hmm. of a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. But So that's part of that. But the truth is, if you watch any decent amount of history, mm -hmm. um, we, we need to have a real conversation about reparations. I'm not saying that every African-American person gets a check for X dollars. But maybe they do. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's a conversation just because, it's, you know, it's like <laughs> all relationships need to have hard conversations. It doesn't mean the end of the relationship. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to get what they want, but you need to have the conversation. It might be that, you know, economic development zones, it may be allotting a certain number of educational things or whatever. But something has to happen because it's undeniable and it's un it's uncomfortable, but it's yeah. uncomfortable because it's undeniable. Well, and our, I, I think our institutions are rotting from the inside because of it. Like, I just think you can't, of, of, uh, we can't move forward without addressing, uh, you know, what we've done and how we've harmed people. And I'm a, yeah, I'm a big believer in reparations. What that looks like, obviously, um, is, yeah, unclear uh, i'm a believer in it too by the way i'm I, by any stretch of the imagination i'm successful mm -hmm. in, in a variety of ways i'm not saying this to toot my horn i'm doing it to say that you know i grew up in a neighborhood there were no black people in my neighborhood i mm -hmm. actually there weren't that many jewish people in my neighborhood mm -hmm. i went to a public school where there mm -hmm. was again a handful of black people there mm -hmm. were no uh hispanics of any kind and um my college was white. My law school was really white. Um, mm -hmm. This, by the way, is not an accident. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, Sorry. yeah. Yeah. I mean, where I grew up was we had, um, my high school had one, one half black kid. Um, <laughs> when you say half black kid, you don't mean a paraplegic. You mean? No, I mean that he was biracial. Um, <laughs> right. by, by the way, people with different abilities, I, Sorry, it's a joke. I'm not, you know, let's not go there. Come on. Um, yes, biracial. Yeah, uh, biracial. I mean, we had, uh, there were, you know, a lot of Hispanic and Asian kids. Oh, um, yeah, but you're in California. Right, yeah, in California. But there were, like, large Black communities in the Bay Area that I just never interacted with. Oh, yeah, Oakland uh, is, uh, Obviously, Oakland. right? Like, it's like, yeah, an enormous part of Bay Area, uh, uh, is is black and uh uh 
you know, I learned about it through hip hop culture, not through like, um, and I, and my, well, I, not that we really believe in God, but my godmother was black. So I got some sort of intro to Caribbean culture, which is different. Um, and, uh, and, and then I went to college and all of a sudden a lot of my friends were Arab, um, and, or Turkish, um, I smoked cigarettes back then, so like all of, <laughs> and also realized how Russian my upbringing was because I felt more comfortable with the with the international kids, despite you know being born here. Right. Uh, and uh, it was um, actually one of I was thinking when you were talking about Jews and Arabs being the same. One of my good friends back then, um, he was Jordanian. My father's Ashkenazi, but they, our dads looked the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, as a as a side note, I did twenty three and me. And when it came, I was so hoping there'd be something mysterious in my background. Mm -hmm. It came back like 96% Ashkenazi Jew, 4% North Africa. I couldn't mm -hmm. have been more excited. Like <laughs> somewhere, somebody took a turn. They built the pyramid, something. You know? <laughs> yeah. then, I got, then I got a note from 23andMe. Sorry, there was a mistake. You're 100% Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi. Yes. Yeah. Look it up, kids. I'm not going to explain European Jewry to you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, I forget what I was. Sorry, but just that you were you were. Oh yeah, no. I so I mean I made a lot of like I mean I, I growing up on like yeah I my life was never all white um, and also uh, it was interesting because I I've sort of been reckoning with my own whiteness and in ways where my family was not white until they got here. Yeah. I um, like here, they're absolutely, absolutely. I mean, they have funny accents. And so people are like, well, but uh, we're white people in America. Um, where Except, is that Russia? Uh, I don't know if you're Jewish. You're Jewish. Yeah, I'm Jewish. Yeah. So yeah. there are places, there are places in America where you're not white. Just right. But I mean, the cop is not going to know that. That's accurate. Well, you're not going to be driving while Jewish. I'm not going to be. Ex exactly. There's no driving while Jewish. Yeah. Like, and I, if I'm not attending synagogue either, then it's also maybe not, you know, less likely that I'm going to get taken. Whereas in Russia, like by your name, by your appearance, you get spotted. And, you know, there's a reason why my family were refugees and it's not because they were treated so well. Um, so, right. so which makes for very confusing conversations here because they do not have the same sense of how America is structured, right? They just feel like we did great in this country. Um, it, why, why look back if you're winning, Why look back? Why look back at the field? And who are these people who are complaining? If um, we could make it, surely they could make it. Right, which is not a... They don't again. have an understanding of the history. And they don't, and they don't care. <laughs> also, do you know? Okay. I think it's both. You know, I think they do. They, they but they'll get it from Fox. But that's you also know, they'll get their, their their history from Fox or from Bill O'Reilly. Like that's it's, part of their culture too, which is yes. They grew up in a place where you don't ask questions or look behind you, except to make sure you're not being followed. And I do just want to point out, I am. We're running out of time. We got like five minutes. Mm -hmm. So as we race toward the end of this, I just want to remind people that they can go to conversationalist.org, which is spelled as you might imagine it would be. Um, they accept donations. I think you don't have a paywall, unless I'm mistaken. You do not have a paywall. Right. So, And there are no ads that I could see. Is no, no. So no this ads. is a really, what's happening? Is this your whole way of, this is a very American question. 
Yes. And actually, it's, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, this is so on PC. This is a very Jewish question. <laughs> okay. Is this how you're making a living? <laughs> no, this is my way, sort of my, this is me, like, you know, my family doing well and my way of giving back and That's awesome. doing what I think is a public good. But it um, sure is. I, I got it. I'm, I'm telling people several times about this, not just to, you know, make you feel good. I'm really mm -hmm. impressed by this. Thank you. Yeah. This um, thing you're doing. Anyway, sorry, yeah. please. Yeah, right now, so we're, we're a magazine, but also um, an, an online magazine. Uh, we are going to, we're expanding. So I'm very excited to be able to offer more. Um, we're going to be publishing more often and hopefully in the near future, going to be having uh, events like workshops, reading groups, uh, uh, working with the content that we've got. A lot of it's evergreen. Um, very proud of it. Uh, and uh, uh, I appreciate how you said it right up, not right down, um, because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also, you know, coming from education, I feel like people are capable of so much if you get them in the right frame of mind. Uh, I, love, I love the TV show, The West Wing. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things my wife and I bonded over early. When mm -hmm. we first met, we were good friends, but when we became romantic, Mm -hmm. I we both had the full sets of the West Wing and we both talked mm -hmm. about our favorite episodes mm -hmm. and when there's a time when Bartlett the president is running again for office and someone's mentioning the word torpor mm -hmm. and they're you know they're defining it for each other or whatever and, the, and someone says well people may not know it and in walks Jeff Bartlett and says well they can look it up if mm -hmm. I'm going to be the education president I shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that I have an education yeah, and I feel like I don't know what happened in our country where we at one point value education and at another point are anti-intellectual. That's probably mm -hmm. a whole other hour to talk about. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have insights on that. I'm definitely going to want you back because I okay. just enjoy talking to you. Completely selfish. <laughs> and if I can help you, if you have launches or yeah. events, you should feel free to use me. Uh, I do want to point out that mm -hmm. it's mostly women who... Mm -hmm. um, you have writing, which I think is awesome. I'm a mm -hmm. feminist. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been married three times to women. <laughs> I don't know if they all think I'm a feminist. The current one knows I am. Uh, yeah. But I just think that we need to hear lots of different voices right now that we don't usually hear from. So uh, yeah. some people might go, well, you know, most, yeah, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. You're not yeah. gonna, that's not a conversation I'm entertaining. I'm saying I love seeing a lot of brilliant women writing for your, yeah. your organization. And I'll leave it at that. How's that? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you no, we... Any? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, like, I think that part of our, our mission is also, you know, sure that women are not niche and that we can write on all sorts of uh, subject matter and, like, that uh, we have serious mm -hmm. things to say and... Not just sewing notions? <laughs> right. And just, like, have, have thought things through in a way because we are working hard to be heard. Um, I think everything that happens in the world affects you guys too. Unless yeah, it turns out. <laughs> turns I just, out. Is there anything that you were like, oh, Eric, I really wanted to talk about this before we go? Uh, I, not that comes to mind now, no. Okay. Well, if it does, you okay. know how to get a hold of me. Great. And um, we'll do this again sometime. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. not just uh, hot air. I <laughs> enjoy speaking with you. Yeah. So, you nice. know. Anna Lynn Guzik, thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. It was a pleasure to meet you. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks. Have a nice day. <laughs>
Right? I mean, to quote Jim Gaffigan, right? Um, I just love that conversation. And if you want to read more about Anna Lind or uh, what she had or her contributors are writing, go to conversationalist.org. Um, you're going to hear more of these kind of interviews here at Is That Really Legal? Go to isthatreallylegal.com. We're going to have more conversations on that site as well. Please feel free to leave me a message, ask me questions. Uh, did I mention subscribe and to leave uh, reviews? Because that would be really great. Uh, keep on listening. Take care of yourselves. Wear a mask. Get the vaccine. Take care of the people. Is that old lady who lives in your building? Have you seen her lately? Is that elderly gentleman who always said hi? Is he missing? Do you need to check on him? Maybe, you know, bring them a coffee. Um, I don't know what you need to do to take care of people. That's up to you. But we're not in this alone. So please do that. And I look forward to hearing from you and to have you hearing from me soon. Take care. Bye-bye.